0: Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, Capital W. We are Sabrina Firminger, and today we are deeply honored to welcome Suwann Brown to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. We are speaking like this as an homage to Hathor, the fan favorite goddess that Suan portrayed on Stargate SG-1. We will now stop speaking in the royal we for the duration of this introduction because we are aware that we sound ridiculous. Hathor was legend, a villain with a capital V who used everything at her disposal, including like uber-powerful pheromones, to get what she wanted, be it civilizations to fall at her feet or even men, and yes, I mean men, Sam Carter was not going to be fooled by Hathor, as big-brained as Jack O'Neill to obey her every command. Hathor, according to Daniel Jackson, was the Egyptian goddess of fertility, inebriety, and music. Or, as O'Neill put it, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Part of what makes this particular system lord so memorable and beloved years after her grisly end is Sue, Sue Ann's singular performance, powerful and sexy and slightly sneering and sporting some of Stargate's best costumes. Like I understand, you understand, we all understand why Hathor refers to herself as we. She's beyond an individual. She's extra. We love her for it. Hathor is only one of a long list of highlights and a career of highlights. And today we're going to get to know Sue Ann even better. We're going full origin story here, people earliest memories, theater performances, favorite things, and we're also going to explore her latest venture. Host of the popular online chat fest, Hathor Hosts, which puts her friends from genre, film, and TV, including many friends of this podcast, in the hot seat. Sue Ann, Sue Ann Brown, we welcome you to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast.
1: <laughs> and may we say we are delighted to be here. <laughs> and you, Sabrina, we will make the perfect first prime with that wonderful silky voice and your gorgeous introduction. We would like to gift you and thank you in many, many ways.
0: I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm so terrified. Wow. And so you should be. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Oh, wait. No, no, no. I'm good. I'm so, I actually, I take back that question because I have been beginning every episode since the pandemic. And yes, we are in the 92nd month of March here, 92nd week of March. Anyway, it's still the pandemic. Um, I've been beginning every conversation I have during the pandemic by asking from my heart, not just a, oh, turn a phrase, you know, how are you? But literally being like, how are you? How's it going? how are you? What's going on? So I, so we ask it in this way. How are you, Sue Ann?
1: Lovely. And thank you very much for asking. I, uh, I suppose like most people at the moment, I am up and down, if the truth be told. Um,
0: it's good to I tell truth. Aware. Yeah.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, I am acutely aware of how lucky I have been to work this year in, in a time where so many people have lost everything, and I'm deeply, deeply grateful for the work that I have had. Um, And there have been some fantastic things, you know, spending more time at home, spending more time with your partner, which I don't know, that's a mixed blessing, perhaps.
0: Um, Truth, In that
1: you're together all the time. Uh, (laughs) But... um, you know, and I'm also so grateful to our incredible NHS and all the key workers around the world mm. who have worked tirelessly and thanklessly and nonstop on our behalf. Yeah. Um, but I am covert. I'm over it. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> I saw what you
0: did. <laughs> picking up what you're putting down. I too am cover It as well um yeah. you mentioned the nhs i don't think this was explicitly clear or at all clear because i didn't mention it you're in london right now you you have you you're in london town baby um yes yeah, so you worked in vancouver for stargate uh but you are yeah. currently thousands and thousands of miles away in the, in the land of Battenberg cake and twiglets and dark chocolate buttons, <laughs> all of which I miss. I want to go to Tesco so much. If I could pop oh. over to England for like two hours, see my family, and then go to Tesco and just load up on, on like prawn cocktail crisps, like just all the good stuff. Ugh. I love it.
1: You'll have to send me a list and I'll send
0: you a care package. <laughs> Honestly, even if it's just photos of you in like Tesco or Asda, like a holding, a photo, like a, uh, some, some just <laughs> giant novelty, giant jar of Marmite. I will gladly just you got it. accept it. <laughs> now you've been back. To set. Yeah. I know you do goddess. Um, you've been back to set though, right? Since the, since the pandemic hit. Have you been? Yes or no? You don't have to I say have. what the project is. So, can you tell me then what that experience was like? Like, was it? How did? First of all, how did you feel going back to set? You know, and and you know, and then what was it just like to? Like, was it vastly different than the the before times? Mm. Um, it's
1: uh, somebody asked me this thing yesterday, and I said it's a weird thing to explain because it's a bit like doing something that's really familiar in a, an unfamiliar way. Mm. But it is remarkable how fast people get used to uh, the things that we have to do and the rules and regulations. I personally felt really safe. I don't think anyone can 100% guarantee anyone else's safety. Yeah. Um, and the crew were phenomenal. Netflix are phenomenal. They are charging and leading the way. Uh, we were tested three times a week.
0: Um, and, and it's then, the brain yeah, tickler
1: we- test in in the UK as well.
0: Yes. Okay,
1: <laughs> which is not a lot of fun. First thing on a you know, six o'clock in the morning in a sort of tent somewhere in Scotland. or something That'll what wake you up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, and then obviously the crew are covered in kind of PPE and masks and visors and things. So the hardest thing, actually, the most, from a practical point of view, the most difficult thing is hearing what people are saying. Mm. So the director was so covered up um, that uh, she would come out and talk to us. And that was quite, you know, we had to really listen. And then the other weird thing is just sort of getting your head around the massive kind of uh, small things, like there's no more craft service table, there's no more kind of you know, lunch used to be served on a beautiful table and people would help themselves. There's none of that. Everything is packaged, pre-packaged. I mean, we're probably going to kill the planet now with plastic
0: consumption, oh, but
1: because yeah. um, that's all going to go way back up, you know, and t- everything is sterilized and there's sort of anti-back everywhere and yeah. everybody's, and they're spraying your shoes. But I mean, I genuinely feel like they went above and beyond. Yeah. To make us feel safe. And I did feel safe. Um, yeah. And then I actually flew back because they decided to drive us up from London, which was seven hours, seven or eight hours. And then one actor per car. And that's your car for the whole shoot. So I thought that was quite clever. You get a driver um, and one, you know, that's the car that you're in for the whole time. Oh, nice. But I decided to fly back because I thought it's like a 45 minute flight. And I now have a a bit of a lag in work. So I thought, well, you know, God forbid, if I do get ill, I I have the time off. But it was fine. I mean, the airlines are being, I mean, the airports are deserted. It's heartbreaking. And on the planes, they're kind of staggering people. You board in a staggered way. You disembark in a kind of staggered small groups. I mean, everywhere there's signposts and, you know, anti-back sanitizer. So I don't know. I didn't feel um, unsafe and it was just unbelievable to be back on set and working and I think if ever the, the one amazing thing that's come out of this is I think it's allowed us to hit that reset button because it's quite easy when you're working a lot or even after a couple of weeks on a set to be like oh my god I have to get up so early tomorrow and I don't like the catering and it you know what I mean it was just this thing of going I can't believe how lucky I am to do this for a living and yeah. particularly
0: right now. So it was great. What about the, the art of acting, you know, did all of the the precautions and the people walking around in hazmat suits and not being able to hear the director and all of those things that like, did they impact the, the art of acting, the work of it at all? No, She's shaking her head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my head a big no.
1: Um, <laughs> I don't think so, because I think that once the prep is done, you know, you still get to rehearse. So once, as an actor, once you're in hair and makeup, you know, you take, obviously you can't wear a mask uh, once the makeup's on. So they have visors, you can rehearse in the visor and then they do a rehearsal without. And then you shoot and you guys, you're still interacting with someone just like you would any other time. Um, So I don't think so. I think there'll be things that we'll have to get used to. Uh, but I don't think it'll change the art of the process or the actual work.
0: The art. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, oh, and are you allowed to tell us what you were working on? I love that I'm leaning in close. Like you're going to tell me a secret. I'm afraid not.
1: I'm so okay. sorry. But it's
0: Netflix. Sorry, I can't it's Netflix. So we're going to.
1: And it's a Christmas
0: movie. I can say that. <gasps> ah, I okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am, I am so looking forward to Christmas this year, weirdly. Like I'm just, I I've, I've haven't I've written Christmas cards in a long time. I'm like planning to spend like two months like writing Christmas cards, listening to music, just like, like just taking it all in, you know, and then trying to spread it all out. Spread joy, not the virus. Yes. <laughs> so.
1: I love it. I love it. <laughs> and you do, Sabrina. Your podcast is I have to just tell you while we're here in the middle of this, Aww. like how I found you when I started my show was, you know, you start researching an actor and a lot of them I know uh kind of socially because we've worked together and, and seen each other at conventions, but I've lost touch of their their work and the and what they've done. Yeah. And I just love your podcast. A lot of people I think don't um, really get to the nitty gritty with actors or their subjects. And you absolutely do, but in such a lovely effortless way. And. You know, that's Aww. kind of why I wrote you. I was just like, oh, you've been such a huge source of inspiration. during I this know, time that's, for me, that's how
0: we connected is because you reached out yeah. to me and said, I, I, and I was so, as a Stargate fan, and as like I was so deeply touched. Um, and now I'm all embarrassed and like, let's just put it all, uh, thank you. I graciously accept now. Can <laughs> we will want to talk about you? Now I have to be super <laughs> duper nice and give you the, like, the best. possible. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start. So you've listened to the podcast so you know. We start with some time travel. Uh, yep. You get to choose your time travel vessel of choice. And you're English, so I expect a certain answer. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be completely shocked. <laughs>
1: um, would it be a phone booth?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it would be a police booth. Yes, good. That's the <laughs> only answer. Only answer. Um, I I actually... Can you just hold one second? I'm not even gonna cut. I'm gonna yes. show you, like, because I'm currently recording at my kitchen table. Okay, you're so you're still right. there, keeping you with me. Okay, one second. Yes, this is. I'm admiring her This piano, is hanging everybody. on my wall. Oh my god, that's so fantastic! Yeah. It's uh you know what? And I'm gonna put my headphones back on. My daughter, my daughter's headphones. Um, yeah. So I have a I painting of David Tennant. Hanging on my kitchen wall. Um, because that's what grown ups do. We should
1: all have a painting of David Tennant hanging on
0: our kitchen wall. Well, especially as the tenth doctor. Um yes. Amazing. Okay, yes. so we're in the tardis Now, do you have a doctor? Like, do you have one that's like your favorite? You know, no no I um you know, I yes, I <laughs> saying no pressure. Um
1: I really, really love David Tennant, actually, because that's sort of... I'd seen his work on and off when I first moved to the UK, but I, I wasn't that familiar with him. Yeah. And then obviously that was my kind of introduction, and now I sort of slavishly, obsessively follow his career. Yeah. And weirdly, a friend of mine just directed him in a series called Staged. I don't know if you've seen that on no! Netflix. No! Oh, it's fantastic. And my friend Simon is the director in the show and directed it. Oh, and fantastic. It's, and it's hilarious.
0: I love, um, I love them together. No, you're right. I have, I seen a lot of the viral, like at, like the little ads they've yeah. done. Um, I, okay. Okay. So we're in the TARDIS. We're in the 10th Doctor's TARDIS. And yeah. um, we're going back to your childhood. Um, I love the age of nine because I have a nine year old. I think when you're nine, Uh, You have, or at least my kid had, and I had a very pure idea of who I was and, um, and you, you know what you like and what you don't like. And often, you know, exactly what you want to do when you're, when you grow up. So take us away. We're in the TARDIS. Where are we going?
1: We are going to go back to Johannesburg uh, when I was 10 years old and uh, life was pretty good actually. Mm. Um, I grew up in a really leafy suburb, uh, really easy childhood, um, loved school, was kind of discovering. I mean I wanted to be an actress from the time I think I could verbalize it, like it's never changed. Really? Um, yeah, my mum always tells a story of when I was about I don't know how old I was, probably, I mean, I could walk and toddle, but I couldn't really speak yet. So how old is that? What, two? Yeah. Um, You know, when they're kind of making sentences, but not actually fully chatting. And we'd gone on holiday and my mum had fallen asleep on the beach and woke up and I wasn't there. And frantically panicked and saw this crowd of people down by the water. Oh! Um, crowding around something and she thought oh my god oh my god my child my baby and rushed through and there I was with like playing this game with a, a little um pail and a spade and I was acting out all the roles I was like <laughs> doing all the things, and entertaining all these people and she was so I mean so relieved that I was alive and I think um horrified that she'd fallen asleep and everything but even then she said I was aware because I was making them laugh and I was I absolutely was aware that they were watching me and that I was entertaining them um and then when I was 10 I got into the uh, a professional production of Annie of the musical Annie and I think that just who, solidified. Were you? who were you I played Tessie I understudied Annie I was too young to play Annie Tessie is the little one who's uh always is crying. She's a crybaby, baby. And she's like, Miss Hannigan, Miss Hannigan. You know, you know that lovely cushion that Buttons gave you, Molly just threw up on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and so um, what, did, what did you discover then about, about yourself as Tessie?
1: Uh, I discovered two things that I think ha- have weirdly come back to me much later in my life because I don't think I realized them at the time. One of them was, I was in a school that was a different language. I went to an Afrikaans speaking primary school and no one else on the tour was in a school that had another language. And we were obviously taught during the day by tutors and there wasn't a tutor for me. Mm. So they just sort of left me to to do my own schoolwork, which did not happen. Um, And so I discovered that because I very nearly failed that year at the end of it my parents were kind of like you need to get you need to do your work now and um, but I discovered that if I dig deep and really focus on something I can achieve it and it Mm. sounds like such an obvious thing to say but I don't think I'd ever really thought about it I'd always just been like well I want to try that and then I try something and I was really bad as a kid and Still a little bit as an adult that if I'm not immediately good at something, I
0: don't want to do it. And oh, I know that. I know that. that yeah, it's weird. Um, and it's I perfectionism. When- I think it's perfectionism. You know, because it's like I, because I, I, feel it, and it's like I'm not immediately perfect at this. Well, I don't, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail, so I'm not going to do it. You know, and I've yeah. had to learn. My daughter does that too, and I've had to, like, I, I recognize that failing in myself, you know, yeah. I see it playing out again in her. And so I've actually tried to get her to, it's about enjoying the journey. No one expects you to be perfect at anything right away. You know, when you yeah. give yourself the chance to learn, oh, you can have podcasts like it's, you know, you exactly. can do anything. And I, I always love, there's a wonderful story. I
1: can't remember where it comes from, but of a teacher asking a classroom, she said, put your hand up if you can sing. And everyone was like this and like one person put their hands up and she said, why didn't anyone else put their hands up? And they're like, oh, I can't sing. And she said, I didn't ask if anyone could sing well. I mm. asked, can anyone sing? And it's so true. Like we, I don't know where that comes from. And I think it's really, women are, are worse with it in, in my experience. So yeah. perhaps it's something that we've had to, that we have just adopted inherently, or that's because it's been so expected of us. I don't know. Um, we needed
0: to do it to survive, you know? It's me, the same exactly. the same reason that we were people pleasers and you know, like we are we all have imposter syndrome. Um, these are all things that I'm really addressing with myself. This is kind of like yeah. therapy. I'm sorry. It's you said all those nice things to me at the beginning, and I'm like, Wow. Um no, it's true. so did you come from like creative artistic people? You know, were there people in your family who 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 had these kind of like career goals or career regrets or, or anything, you know, having to do with the arts?
1: Um, not really, actually. My mum, I think, entertained the idea of being an actress for about 10 minutes when she was young and then went, no, not for me, yeah. but is massively creative, still paints beautifully, wonderful artist. She can draw, she can paint. She sews incredibly and throughout her youth, um, and throughout my life would always make clothes for us, became an incredibly, she can design, she's a wonderful seamstress and is still, you know, pushing 80 and still making dresses. She makes kind of like um, end of year school dance dresses and oh, wow, dance dresses and wedding dresses. She's incredible. And my dad too had that very kind of German organizational um, thing about him, but also played in a jazz band when he was a young man. So Mm -hmm. I grew up with my dad playing the piano around the house. So again, kind of artistic and creative, but it wasn't their profession. Mm -hmm. But I was absolutely exposed to theater and music and movies from a very early age. I do remember that. Um,
0: Okay, so let's talk about what were some of those early film or TV or musical theater performances that really imprinted themselves on you? I
1: have a very vivid memory of my mum and dad, and I have two half-brothers So uh, from my dad's side, uh, so they had a different mum. And they're quite a lot older than I am, so they didn't really spend a lot of time with me growing up. They were at boarding school and then in the army and stuff. Mm. But I have a vivid memory of us in a house uh, all together, and we had this sort of weird L-shaped bench, sofa type thing. And it was pre-television. I mean, that sounds so histo- like prehistoric now. But South Africa only got TV in 1978. Um, so it must have been before then. And we were all crowded around a speaker in the lounge, listening to the BBC, to the Goons, uh, Monty oh. Python. Oh. You know, still. So my formative kind of comedy came from these giants yeah. and these amazing men. And I must tell you another thing, it's so weird. Um, since working in the UK, I met Spike Milligan's daughter. I met and worked with Jane Milligan. Wow.
0: <laughs> and it was so
1: weird because I was like, oh my
0: God, I used to listen to your dad on the radio when I was growing up. So just weird, full circle moment, you know? That's incredible. You know what I find interesting about you, Sue though? I mean, you've mentioned comedy quite a few times. Also, yeah. we've laughed quite a few times during this conversation. Um, And yet, I would feel for a lot of people, you are, like, this face of, like, sci-fi, you know, villainy. Um, Like, what, like, have you had the chance to be to be funny? Do you consider yourself to be a comic actress or like is like is there kind of a dissonance in like how you see the world and how you feel that you are and then the work that you do on screen? I know that's like 30 questions in one but you know just just take some of it and go with it. Yes. No absolutely. Um, All my life I
1: remember very clearly as well at about 10 Um, I was quite naughty at school, not naughty in like, you know, destructive, you know, smoking and, you know, destroying property kind of way in a kind of really innocent, you know, being a bit cheeky and a bit like, (laughs) whoa, to a teacher. (laughs) Um, And I remember there was a really nasty girl in our class and she, for whatever reason, had it in for me. and, um, And she was very popular and she was kind of having a go at me one day. And then I mimicked her. Because she had like a kind of a voice that was very irritating and she was very Afrikaans. And I, I mimicked her and everybody laughed. And I was like, I'm funny. This is how I can make people laugh. It's my superpower. <laughs> um, and I have spent years when I first moved to L.A my manager was like, but you're, you don't look like a comedian. Like you're, you're pretty. So why would you want to be funny? Like it just, no, you're no, you're a leading lady. You're not going to be funny. And I was like, well, can't I be both? (laughs) Um, now I feel I've definitely moved into the comedy territory away from the leading lady. Uh, but it took years for me to kind of Put my foot on. People kept telling me that I didn't look like a comedian, that I was too glamorous, that I was too this, too that, whatever. And thank God, I discovered uh, improv classes in LA with the Groundlings, mm-hmm. and my teacher was so amazing and just said to me, "You're really funny. Write your stuff. Do some more improv. Let's get you doing some stand-up." And then I did stand-up, and you did. At- I did. Okay,
0: so what was what was your like? What was your style like? How would you describe you know your your sense of comedy? You know, and the kind of and the yeah. kind of jokes you told, the bits you did when you were a stand up comedian.
1: Um, pretty much anecdotal, I think. I would yeah. basically my stand up was born out of um, living in Los Angeles and being a kind of foreigner in LA.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: obviously I talked about because there's so many things there, so nothing particularly original, I don't think, in that. Other than I was South African, and that was uh, that was relatively new at that point in sort of the 90s. Um, and then it was just talking about being an actress and the kind of insane things that people say and do to you. Um, and then I did I put together a little show called the the Braun Identity, <laughs> um, which doesn't matter really if
0: it's brown. <laughs> oh. That's I, and I will say like you 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 listeners did not get to hear this but we did spend a good five minutes trying I I just asked I just asked Sue Ann, how do you say your last name is it Brown or Braun and honestly by the end she spoke for five minutes I still I have no idea You're it was still it was delightful
1: a <laughs> way that I prefer but I sort of um, as I said to you because. My dad is of a German descent, so he prefers Braun, but my, and my mum also. um, But like over years, people have just said Braun and you get to a point where having to explain Sue Ann is such a (laughs) 25, I mean, I'll never forget being in the DMV in LA, um, which uh, for those who don't know is the Department of Motor Vehicles, which is a soulless place. And I'd been waiting all day in the queue, the line, and I finally got to the front and I'd done my tests and I'd done everything I needed to do and all the documents had been ticked off and they were so suspicious anyway, because I was from South Africa, you know? And mm. the woman was like, name? And I said, Sue and she spelled S-U-E dash A-N-N-E. And I went, oh no, 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 it's all one word, it's Sue And she's like, Suzanne? And I went, no, 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 uh, like Suzanne, but no Z, Z, Z. And she looked <laughs> at me and went, I don't, I don't understand. And I said, well, it's like Suzanne, but just take out the Z. So it's Su- 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 Swan. I was like, no, it's sue <laughs> I mean, and this went on, I kid you not for 20 minutes. I mean, this was in my set. It was yeah. that ridiculous. Um, so by the time we got through that, and then she went, last name, I, I went B-R-A-U-N. And she went, Braun. I went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how long were you in LA for? Uh,
0: almost ten years, yeah and um, eleven i can't even remember now what and what did you what were some of the the joys and challenges of that time like how is it imprinted how is l a imprinted on you wow well, this is a yeah this is a difficult question to answer in a kind of uh,
1: short and succinct way, but I would say uh it was quite I feel Dickensian about it in that it was the best of times and the worst of times.
0: That's how a lot of Um, people describe their time in LA, frankly.
1: Yeah. And it was one of those things. It was a massive life lesson. Not fun going through it because I had no clue, I think, what lay ahead. You know, I left South Africa at the top of my game, exceptionally well known, which of course at the time, was just that was just a fact. I didn't even really think about it.
0: Yeah, we have skipped remember, over like you were a TV presenter, and you had you know yeah. you worked like a, a lot. You ho- you hosted, if I if I remember what I read, you were a host of the Miss World pageant pageant. Um, mm-hmm. you you were a familiar, frequent face on on television there. Correct. Yeah, and so you uh-huh. go to LA for to what end? Was it to like to take on the on the world to expand into new territory? Yes, exactly. And I'd got to a
1: point where I'd always wanted to be an actress, you know, but I dropped out of university and then I kind of stumbled into this TV job in South Africa. And I know it sounds ridiculous now, naive, but I hadn't really thought what it would be like being on TV four nights, five nights a week. Of course you become well known. Of Mm -hmm. course you get exposure. And then it kind of went the other way where people kind of knew me only as this talking head. And I think certain directors felt I was overexposed and didn't know I was an actor, and people wouldn't hire me because of it. Um, and I'd always wanted to go to LA. I was—I'd always had the dream to work in Hollywood and make movies. And I was like, except I'm going to go to Hollywood. It was like I'm going to go to Broadway, then Hollywood, and then I'm going to win an Oscar, and then I'm going to retire. <laughs> Obviously, know. yes. Obviously
0: because that's a dream what? that a thousand people have every time that you know every, like every every hour when a thousand people arrive in LA or whatever like that's the that's Aim the plan, plan.
1: Um, and of course everyone thinks they're going to be different and they're going to be the one that'll make the difference and I had so many sort of odd things happen there so like I got a green card within three weeks and then I was signed by William Morris Endeavor like doing an audition in a boardroom I don't know like terrifying but they signed me on the spot and then like I just didn't work for a year I well almost a year it was like 10 months and I went on castings and I was arrived in the middle of pilot season so I was busy 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 but just didn't book anything and of course Mm. had to learn and I had no idea how to schmooze or to play the game I had no idea so I completely took I had come from an environment where I was very well known Mm. in it You know, I was a very big fish in a teeny, teeny, tiny pond, and I'd basically been chucked halfway across the world voluntarily, but I was suddenly an amoeba (laughs) in an ocean, and it took me 10 months to go, oh, they're bullshitting me you know, because people would go, Oh, she's so fantastic. I love her. She's so funny. She's adorable. So British, so tall. So stick whatever word in there, you know, I was it, but I didn't book the job. And I kept phoning my agents and going, I don't understand. They said they loved me. And I'd get a callback and I'd get another callback and then wouldn't get the job. I'd have five callbacks, nine callbacks. And then eventually I started to think oh, maybe it is me. Maybe I'm just terrible and I can't act. Mm. Um, and then finally, you know, I got a job and I was like, I've made it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And yet that and entire that- time you were still an actor. You're like, it's, it's, it's like the weirdest, it's, it's exactly. the weirdest business. Cause it's a business, right? You know, yeah. and it's like, it's always thinking about like, okay, I got to get the audition, get the job. Then I'm, I'm something, but you are something you're, you have a craft, you have like a, an art with or exactly. without the, the job. It's just, it's a. I hate that part of it. Like, I love watching the art, but I I just hate knowing how the business, the industry can really destroy people's sense of self and confidence, which is hard enough to build up, especially when you're a woman.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, I sort of wish now again, I mean, if I had to do it again, um, I would just be a little more, Uh, sure of myself I was so you know I had a manager who was awful to me and not a very nice woman and was very successful and handled lots of very beautiful successful women um, and men but particularly women and particularly at that time where it was like you know Beverly Hills 90210 Melrose Place all those sort of shows and instead of me kind of going, well, no, actually, I don't want to do that. Or I'll never forget once Baywatch, of course, famous Baywatch, launched a show called Baywatch Nights. Baywatch Nights, yes. I remember. Yeah, right. And they were looking for a, I think Angie Harmon eventually got the job. They were looking for like a female lead. And I said to my agent, this is not me. Like, it's not me. I don't want to be running around in a bathing suit and pretending to be a district attorney or whatever the hell she was at night like it's just not who I am and they like today I would say to my agent I'm not comfortable doing that or I don't want to do that and I wouldn't go on the audition of course then I was like they were like you have to go you have to do this you have to da da." and always you know you've got to lose 40 pounds you've got to do this you've got to have a nose job you've got to fix your and I was just kind of like i you know, you get to a point where you're just like, I'm not going to do anything because I I, I don't know who I am anymore. Mm. So there were some really tough times there. But God, I'm grateful for them now, I tell you. Because it made moving here that much easier. You know, Mm. I'll never forget going for my very first audition on a West End stage. And I walked out um, onto the Dominion stage, which is where We Will Rock You was for years. Mm -hmm. And my heart was like this and everything. And I looked out and there was sort of six people sitting around a table in this massive empty auditorium. And I just closed my eyes and I thought, it's not as scary as going to network in LA. It's not. Yeah. So... You know, Ooh, I, got, big chills. I got
0: chills hearing you describe standing on that stage. Yeah, um, oh, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a Broadway head myself. And I've seen, you know, I've seen, I've been to Broadway and I've, I've seen so many shows in the, in the West End. Honestly, I just want to, when I go to London, after I go to Tesco, I <laughs> buy everything. I just want to get back into <laughs> to theaters. I want to just sit and like, just let all the, the artists just do their thing. Do that special magic that they do. Um, anyway, I enough and enough God about.
1: Hope that we can open in the spring. You know, I really, really, really hope we can open up in the spring. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what. When you're not here, Sabrina, we're going to go. We're going to go and have a little trip to Tesco, a lunch, and yes! then we'll go to the theatre. <laughs>
0: yes, I love it. I love it. Okay, so. Uh, Before we get into talking about The Goddess of Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, um, I want to hear about, what was the first time that you felt, like, after Tessie, after, you know, you, after your, the child, the stuff you did as a child, you know, when you were now like, I'm in my career, when was the first time that you felt fully engaged in a role? Like, you knew you were truly doing something that you should be doing, and this is it, Oh, that's a good question, because I think it came,
1: well, I mean, I always knew that I, w- I wanted to do this, like that never changed,
0: Yeah.
1: but I think I wasn't really given uh, opportunities to flex my acting muscles that much, because for a large part, when you're younger, you tend to get cast, and I guess also when you're older, you get cast sort of how you look, mm-hmm. so and this is you know, an age-old debate about casting. And thank goodness we've entered an era of colorblind casting. And I like the new gender swapping. But it does make it tricky, because sometimes if you are a six-foot-two, blonde, sort of Viking Amazonian goddess, you're never going to play a petite, tiny woman ever. You're just not. Um, and vice versa, and of course that makes it tricky because some people can do wonderful things, but it's not their casting bracket. That said, um, I think actually weirdly, it was doing an Afrikaans drama, um, which I got to play in, which was called Koenings, which means kings, and it was uh, an amazing series that won all sorts of awards in South Africa, and Uh, I played a character that spanned, she started, I think at 18 and ended, I think at about 52 or something, which was hilarious because I was all of like 22 at the time. So I had to age up and down. Um, But it was wonderful to play this woman who starts as a young girl. And it's it's basically about a family and a real epic family drama and then acting in another language, which was wonderful. Uh, And that was the first time I had a director who gave me really great notes. I would go home at night. It was the first time I spent hours creating a backstory. Uh, it was the first time I'd heard that phrase, kind of like backstory. And we had rehearsals and we, we worked the families. You know, there was, It was about two different families. So we spent time together as a family. And it was the first time I think I realized that you can fabricate an entire world with your imagination and then bring that to life with someone else's dialogue. Mm. And gosh, it's fulfilling. You know, it is so amazingly fulfilling when you get it right.
0: Ooh, this is why I love talking to actors to find out like what goes on <laughs> goes on be- behind your face when you're doing what you do. All right, you ready <laughs> to talk some Hathor? Hathor, sure. goddess of sex, Let's drugs, and it. rock and roll. Okay, so I can imagine that playing a character like this particular goddess was super fun. So what what did you enjoy the most about playing this character?
1: Well, I have to tell you two funny little things um, about the audition, because I often get asked by people like, what was the audition like or whatever? And they only gave me, as they normally do, a tiny section of the sides. So I had no idea if she was a batshit gray gray or if she was royal, I was like, what is this woman's deal? Referring to herself as we. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it with an American accent. And then the casting director had seen me before and said, I know you have an English accent. Can you do it in your, your native accent? So that was one funny thing. And the other thing is I remember um, very clearly that there were lots of women dressed in unbelievably sexy clothing like sort of really clingy dresses and everything. And I'd gone in in trousers, pants, because I had broken my toe and I couldn't really wear proper shoes. So I was like, well, if I wear something comfortable, uh, then I can get away with like a flip flop on a a foot. Um, And that was just, I remember so clearly sitting in the casting office and looking at all these other women and thinking, oh no, I think I've misjudged this hideously because everyone is, glammed up to the nines. I mean, I'd made an effort, but I wasn't kind of like that. And then I remember going in and thinking, I'm just going to play it as if everybody comes to her. She does nothing. You know, those people who are so powerful that they just look at somebody and, you know, it's kind of like they expect you. She's so used to being in charge and the queen. And I sort of channeled that really. And Um, Months later, when I got the job, I remember Richard Dean Anderson saying to me, because, of course, in those days, they were VHS tapes that would get sent up to casting and and the producers in in Vancouver, in Van Groovy, And um, both he and Mike Greenberg said that they were, like, flicking through all the tapes. And he said they stopped when they got to mine because they were like, whoa, she's just like, he said, we all kind of, like, lent in. Whereas, because you made us come in. So I was very proud of that. I don't know if I did it intentionally, (laughs) but I was very proud of that. Um, Oh, there's absolutely nothing there. Yeah, really, isn't it? And it's so so, uh, difficult to do because I think when we're nervous and we want something, you tend to get in your own way and you do too much. And actually, if you can, just sit on it and really enjoy that kind of silence and power if the if the character or the role demands that you know really be comfortable inhabit that space and she was so comfortable i think that was the thing i loved the most is that she was so secure in herself in her power in her sexuality
0: and that's fun to play because that's not what i am um especially if you're also spending your time on screen in a bathtub as well while all these like handsome men are around you like
1: really really (laughs) and uh you know it's not a bad day's work when you get to go and snog all those gorgeous men i mean (laughs) that sounds a bit oh we're probably not even allowed to say that anymore um
0: but okay okay, but you're remembering it yeah no you i think you can i think in this specific situation you absolutely, you absolutely <laughs> can. Um, was, this your first well, time, was this your first time working in Vancouver?
1: It was, and I loved Vancouver and still love Vancouver. And I had the weirdest uh, experience when I arrived, because I arrived on a Friday and then I went for all my fittings and everything. And then I only started shooting on the Monday. So I kind of had the weekend uh, at leisure and went to a fantastic party on the Saturday night at Chris's house, Chris Judge's house, his legendary parties. Yes. Um, But I was free to kind of roam the city. And I remember going to the concierge and I said, I I really love um, like Thai and, and the food is so good there. I said, I really love Thai food. Is there a restaurant near the hotel that I could go to? And she recommended a place. And I started walking down the street. I can't remember the name of the street now. But I felt, it was that weird thing of deja vu. I felt like, gosh, i not that I'd been there before, but I felt completely and utterly at home there. And I never had it in the entire time I lived in LA, not once. Hmm. And then I got in the restaurant and I asked the waiter, I said, could I have, and I was about to say, serviette. Oh, I think I said, can I have a serviette, please? And I was about to correct myself and say, sorry, napkin. Because of course in America, nine times out of 10, if you say, certainly in LA, and I have a serviette, they look at you like you're insane. Yeah. And I went, I sort of went, sorry. And he went, oh, certainly, ma'am. And I walked up and I was like, oh, they know what serviette is. <laughs> Such a stupid small thing. But I wow. always so say that. Like, is like, so technique. easy
0: to please. I love it. All you have to do is <laughs> like, just be like, yes, yeah, serviette. And you know, you should see the joy. I exactly. wish you could see the joy on her face <laughs> right now. Fantastic. So what, what, um, do you, but what like- did you- Sorry, I was gonna ask, like, what? So, how? So, your time then, your appearances on Star on Stargate, you know, um, very popular. I mean, people people love them, some Hathor, But, like, what did you learn either about yourself or about the craft of acting? Uh, which I, I always say, acting and do a hand um, oh. <laughs> during your time, you know, in in the Stargate universe, not Stargate universe, but the Stargate yeah. universe. Yes. <laughs> I
1: think one of the things that sticks out is that acting um, is very much a collaborative thing. And again, although that sounds really obvious, I think when you are quite new to, not that I was that new to it, but you know, it was quite a big deal. I was very aware, even though it was only the first season, I was very aware of the people I was working with and the level of talent and I think sometimes when that happens, it's easy to go inside yourself and let your insecurities go. <gasps> mm. But is is my shot okay? Do I look alright? Is it you know? Is am I? Is it coming across? And I remember watching Rick one day. Just he's so brilliant on camera, and so comfortable. And they were all so brilliant with one another, and so in sync that it made me want to up my game. I was like, well, I really. I really want to do the best I can. So it was a bit like, oh my God, they're all so good. Everybody's so good on this and everyone's so lovely and nice. You know, everyone made me feel immediately welcome, particularly Amanda who came bounding over on the first day and she was like, hi, I'm Amanda. Um, and lovely Terrell. Uh, and it was just a joy. And it was the first time that I vividly remember like doing scenes with, with I think there was a scene where I, where I come down a spiral staircase and it was done, the lovely late Donis Davis, um, mm. Chris, uh, all the boys, I think, and Amanda. <clears throat> and, you know, it was quite daunting, and it's the first time they see her, and there was a line in the script about, she's meant to be the most beautiful woman in the universe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I probably, please don't fall down the stairs. Um, <laughs> I, truly, because I was like, that's the kind of thing Sue Ann would do. I'd, like, get yeah. to the last two steps, and then... You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, they were so gracious and generous and I remember looking back when I finally watched the episode and going, yeah, I can see it. I see it in my eyes, that thing of somebody throwing the ball at you or to you, you catching it and then like throwing it to someone else but there's this lovely connection. Yeah. So I think that's
0: like collaboration is the word that comes to mind from that time. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of Stargate. All the Stargates. And yep. I'm, I'm also a fan of Stargate fans. Um, an unmatched... I mean, honestly, with their their generosity and their support, and they're like a lot of them are just so like fun and bonkers. Like I I, lo- I love Stargate fans so much. Um, I've had the opportunity to you know to go and observe Gatecon, and then I also attended um, Amanda's convention uh, at the Marriott uh, Renaissance in, in London, where I mean it's like it's like a family reunion of people from all over yeah. the world. Even Amanda says like I'm kind of incidental at these things. It's like it's like it's it's the fans are there to see them like each other and you know and it's it's so beautiful but you know so you i mean you've you've done some some conventions you've interacted with fans um stargate fans you know who are all over the world tell me about some of um tell me about the 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 stargate fan in general and what makes them so unique among among fandoms really
1: I think it's about acceptance. There is such a love for the show, uh, for the actors, for the storylines, for the product. And I had no idea when I entered this world that we are like, what, it's 25 years on, isn't it now? 25, 26 years later.
0: yeah.
1: And I am still, you know, and prior to this year where obviously things now because of Hathor Hosts, people are much more aware, but. Even before that, every convention I've been to, and I'm, just pinch yourself going, I can't believe people are here to meet me, that I'm lucky enough to be sitting here with these wonderful actors talking about this fantastic time that we had in this amazing show and how it has touched people globally. I mean, I still, like, I find it quite staggering. and, And people... It's a bit like the muggles versus (laughs) the magic kids, you know? I feel like people who don't understand sci-fi and Stargate particularly, Mm. they're muggles. They don't get it. Um, And I have some friends who are like, oh yeah, completely. Because it is the most wonderful, wonderful fandom the most uh, loving, supportive, my God, is it supportive. I've had people travel all over the world to see my work, excuse me, from all over the world to see my work. Um, And I just, it's gobsmacking to me, you know, it's absolutely jaw dropping because you kind of go, I can't believe that this person from Japan who loved Hathor has traveled to the UK to see my work. Yeah. Um, And just, wonderful warm supportive accepting wonderful acceptance that it's the best fandom in the world
0: we haven't touched on this yet oh and fyi i completely agree with you on that um but we haven't touched on like the sci-fi of it all like I mean I even though you are a, a face of sci-fi villainy like where does sci-fi like sit in your own your own heart like do you do you watch a lot of it did you grow up watching a lot of it like I know you're a total musical theater head and all of that but you know what about like what about sci-fi you know and how does it move you it's okay if it doesn't yep.
1: Yeah, no, I did not grow up watching sci fi. Um, it's I totally not totally okay. I was lying. I was lying. And ending off the podcast. <laughs> 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 However, um, my husband is a huge sci fi fan. So I, we got really into uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yes. There's a remake did. when it came out. Yes, loved that. Um, obviously, Travelers, I loved. Awesome. And weirdly, I've, through doing Hathor Hosts, have revisited and experienced and got to know people's work and episodes. And the more I watch Stargate, the more I'm like, God, it's really, really good. <laughs> and not that that surprises me, but it's kind of, when you're in something, like I very rarely watch stuff that I'm in. Yeah, I find it excruciating. Um. So I, you know, you sort of take everyone else's word for it, but I I hadn't really sat and watched episodes and I don't know, maybe it was because it's the right time, perhaps because we haven't been anywhere this year and I've had more time to do it, (laughs) but yeah, I'm a fan now. And I also really loved Continuum. Um, (gasps) Although I did, I didn't watch all of it. I've still got to finish that. Uh, But I love that it was set kind of in Vancouver and you know, that it was actually less about sci-fi and more about the people. Um, Of course, the sci-fi is the premise and the time travel and stuff. But yeah, so I'm a fan now.
0: (laughs) That's good. One of us and so say we all. Yes. Okay. So um, uh, we will soon be playing Favorite Things. uh, But before we do, I do want to talk about our Hosts. you know, while other people might, and totally like no shade to people who did this, because I did this for a big part of the, of the pandemic, you know, everything shuts down and then you're like hiding in your bed and you're eating your Twiglets or, I'm so focused <laughs> on Asda and Tesco right now, you're, you know, and you're like, you just, you're you're watching your Netflix, you're hugging your cats, you don't go outside. You launched a new project, like, in, which is this, like, Really fun. And I've noticed like your production quality has gone from like trying to figure out face or Instagram live and then like, you know, Amanda doesn't know where she's like on her camera going and it's all amazing um, and to, you know, this like very wonderfully designed, you know, uh, beautiful graphics and stuff. Right. So uh, chat fest, as I call it. So it's like it's a genre talker. So yeah. where did you get the energy? What was the inspiration for this project? that people really love.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to hear that, thank you. Um, well, like you said, it was sort of lockdown hit and at first I thought, well, it'll be maybe four months, we'll all be fine. And then every day was more news of what was to come and more and more things shut and I had job after job after job cancelled and then in March we found ourselves and then my husband got sick we think he had it I don't know he wasn't tested no. but yeah he was really sick and so I was kind of sitting in where I am now actually in our lounge kind of going what am I going to do what oh my oh my, I don't know what to do I don't know what to do um and then I started uh, watching lots of Instagram lives because they would have, they'd have lots of casting directors on talking about what people can do and that it's okay to do nothing. And I literally had my, you know, face in a bowl of ice cream watching because I'm flicking through Instagram lives. And I stumbled upon one one evening where a woman was interviewing somebody and it was a really interesting guest, and they had endless technical issues (laughs) as, as did I. Um, But she was really bad. And at the end of the hour I felt so cheated because I felt like the other person was kept trying to answer the question and and I didn't really think anything more of it. And I went to bed that night and I suddenly I sat up bolt upright at three in the morning. I thought, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna email all the actors I've worked with and just do Instagram lives. It's free, it's easy. And I'm gonna do that. And then the next morning I woke up and normally I would kind of go, Oh, that's a shit idea. I'm not gonna do that. But I didn't. I woke up and I thought, I'm just gonna email everyone I've ever met. <laughs> and I was bold, sister, woo, girl. I was like, da-da-da-da-da. I'm doing a show, it's like Graham Norton. Da, da, da. I was so cocky. Mm-hmm. And I wrote to everyone because I thought, if they say no, I don't really care. And then I don't have to do it. And if they say yes, great, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And then one by one people went, great idea, love it, yes. Um, and then of course I was like, right, okay. So now I've got 25 people. <gasps> um, and each week was a steep learning curve and we learnt so much. In fact, I'd love, I feel like I owe Kate Hewlett, the lovely, talented Kate Hewlett, a second go because she was the very first person. And I feel like when I watched that interview, we're both a bit like, oh dear God, what's happening? <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and then I got more and more as brilliant as Instagram is, and it's wonderful for loads of things. It's very difficult when you're doing a live because unlike this, where you can have a chat at the bottom, when you're in, as you I'm sure well know, when you're in that live and the other person is struggling to connect, you can't see it. Mm. And that was the most infuriating thing. I'd have actors phoning me, texting me, going, I can't, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I can't help you because I'm in the middle of the the live. So you'd have to get out, go back in. And then we had endless things with like sound dropping for no apparent reason and all that stuff. And then I was interviewed for a South African channel, weirdly, that they'd launched something. And I was so impressed with their kind of finished product. And the producer who is American, but lives in South Africa, contacted me and he said, listen, if you're interested in doing some stuff together, I've put this little thing together. Um, what do you think? And I was like, I would love that. So we work with a, a platform called StreamYard, which I cannot recommend highly enough, yeah. um, which basically works like Zoom, except it tells the actor or the guest when they're not on camera, it's effectively in a little green room, a
0: virtual green room. Yeah. And it's um, beautiful. Like you can customize it as well. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, and then we could stream live to YouTube. So, and then I know nothing about YouTube. Like I'm very late to the party with YouTube. I'm quite good on Twitter and I've got better on Instagram. And then a wonderful, wonderful lady called Catherine Sigmund, who is a, a fan of Stargate, she and German lady, she got in touch with me and said, Look, I have done this for years. I'm happy to help you run um, your YouTube channel. And I was like, I would love that because yeah. I'm it's a bit like flailing around in the dark. And sort of between Drew, my producer, Drew Backer, who's been incredible, and Catherine and myself, it's been this sort of collaborative thing, which is why each time it's got better and better and better. And I'm so grateful to
0: them both. Well, it is, everything. it is gorgeous. And you are, you are such a natural. Um, okay. So I know that you just wrapped, you wrapped season one, uh, and you ended it with, um, Amanda putting you in the hot seat, uh, which (laughs) is incredibly rad. Um, but, but, uh, when season two, okay, people want more. And, um, can you give us any hints about guests? I know that Garrett Wang is, uh, is, is supposed to be coming, but what can you tell us?
1: Oh, <clears throat> I can't tell you anything at the moment because I haven't had 100% final confirmation from people yet.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I also don't know about dates because a lot of it depends on, as you well know, on people's availability. And I start shooting uh, on the 14th of December, I start shooting uh, a movie for the next, uh, probably be 10 weeks. So I'm also looking at that because... Uh, obviously we 'll have to work um, from the hotel, um, but season two is coming i 'm hoping to launch uh, sort of mid November like before Thanksgiving and if if everybody says yes it 's going to be bigger, better, bolder, and fantastic. I hope
0: <laughs> of course it will be. I do appreciate your calling it season. But where I know in the UK, seasons are called series, series yeah, one, series two. Right. Honestly, I just love that I'm talking to, like, I have a window into into London right now. It's, it's pretty great. Okay. Are you ready to play some favorite things? I'm ready. Bring it on. So basically, it's very complicated instructions. I'm going to okay. ask you what your favorite things are, and then you're going to tell me. Um, my daughter originated the questions that we changed them up because guests were coming on with pre-prepared answers, Like no, you're not doing that. So, um, basically like the only instruction is to answer from your gut. Okay. Uh, and if you don't want to answer tough, you have to answer (laughs) those. That's the way we do things here on this show. Not all kindness (laughs) like on yours. Okay. They take their prisoners here. Yeah, not at all. All right. Favorite Vancouver shot series? Oh,
1: Sabrina, that's hard. Um, well, it would have to be Stargate.
0: <laughs> I normally would not allow that answer um, that, that, to say the show that you're on, but I'll, I'll allow it in. Okay. We, we will allow it. Oh, in I, this have, I
1: have a second one. Um, okay. You, me and her. Yes! You mean us? You mean well, I, you, uh, you, me,
0: her? Yes. You mean
1: no, her? That, yes. yes.
0: That is a show about polyamory and it's funny and it's dramatic. And um, uh, Jennifer Spence and Enid Ray Adams and Lee Majdub uh, have all been guests here and guests on that. So love it! Okay. Favorite cartoon character of all time? Oh, easy. Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> I I can guarantee we haven't had that answer yet on this show. (laughs) I loved him. He was just like, Diddy, get out of my laboratory.
1: I am making something special. Dexter, what are you doing? I am making something crazy. Get out, (laughs) Diddy.
0: What our guests are not seeing, or our listeners are not seeing is um, also all the, how you're contorting your body to make, (laughs) to make that voice too. It's amazing. Okay. Favorite karaoke song. I hate karaoke. Let it just be
1: known because I've never, ever, ever sung a karaoke song in the right key. How do That's you what make- the fun of karaoke is. <laughs> um, what did I, uh, I don't know, anything I can do a little bit of like salt and pepper. Let's talk about sex, baby. <gasps> Let's oh. talk about you and me.
0: You, her. you and me, her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a theme here <laughs> I'm not the uh, goddess of sex, drugs and rock and roll for nothing, honey <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wow, wow, wow This is how we get our explicit rating on this podcast Okay <laughs> Favorite comfort food?
1: Carbs I mean in all <laughs> it's forms. Just carbs, just all of it In all its <laughs> glorious forms uh, England has
0: such good carbs too I love oh. you carbs
1: you have no idea. And my husband is a baker. We have a bakery. It's a disaster. How have we hard. not talked about that yet?
0: <laughs> because we have bakery. You own a bakery.
1: We own a bakery. Yes. Wow. And we bake beautiful pastries and bread throughout the day, all day. Mm. Um, and he's really good at his job. And every now and then he'll come home and be like, try this cinnamon swirl or this cinnamon bun. And I'm like, get away, Satan.
0: (laughs) Get away, but first give that to me. Get away, but give that to me. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so good. My comfort food since last summer when Paul was in hospital um, was just a a fresh fresh loaf from the bakery in Bexhill. Um, Some butter, some Marmite, and then some beautiful tomato beans. And that or beans and tomato sauce. And that's like... That's my favorite. Like that's my comfort food. I love you know, that, and I love beans you on eat toast. Marmite. I love marmite. Yeah, so funny. I it's love that. Yay! Just, just like the I, I, just anything salty, and that's like just like a celebration of just liquid salty goodness. I love mm. it. So this is still on the food front, but what is your favorite thing to eat at craft services? You know, back when there was craft services.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Um. Quite like Haribos, you know, or anything like little, yeah. little sweeties that you can suck on that give you a, or chew on sort of mid-afternoon slump when you've been awake since 5.30 and it's like 10 to 4, 4.30 and you're like, I can't have another cup of coffee because I'll be bouncing off the ceiling. So, so just have
0: sugar? Yeah. 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 Um, dolly mixture?
1: What's Dolly J- mixture.
0: I don't know. I'm sorry, am I the Canadian going to be telling the, the, the woman in London about Dolly Mixture? Um, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's got some like kind of like jelly tot stuff in there. And then also it's like, they're like tiny, but like, they're like licorice all sorts, but not licorice. They're like uh, multicolored Dolly Mixture. Okay, when we go to Tesco or Asda or Marks or wherever, I will show you the Dolly Mixture okay. that I can only get at the British import store here in Vancouver. So got it. I'm
1: going to go and find it t- tomorrow.
0: Please do And some jelly tots Okay Favorite super villain Ooh Um (laughs)
1: Ooh it's a toss up Between Joker and Poison Ivy
0: Both good I can actually picture you As Poison Ivy So Love that Let's go with that one that's that's the official one. Yes. <laughs> um, what has been... Oh, sorry, I have a, I have my favorite things voice. I so got to get back into it. Yeah. Favorite Netflix binge? Oh, so many. So <laughs> All many. of it.
1: All of yeah. it. All of Netflix. No, uh, I love Call My Agent. I completely binged that in like... A day. Have you seen that? The Fantastic French series? Um, Ozark, I absolutely mm. loved... I haven't watched the third series yet, though, so it's on my list. Um, uh, I'm trying to think more recent. I mean, when it first came out,
0: Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, obviously I was just obsessed. Mm -hmm. I waited to watch Breaking Bad until the whole series was over, which was hard to avoid all the spoilers. But then Paul and I, we just watched it on Netflix, and it was, that's the way to do it. Can I yeah. make a recommendation if you haven't watched this yet? Because you mentioned Continuum. There's a new, there's a, a more recent Simon Berry joint called uh, Warrior Nun, and they filmed in Spain. And it was like yeah. for for a, f- this summer, it was one of the, it was like the top, the most yes. watched uh, international Netflix show. Highly recommend it.
1: Oh, I will because weirdly, um, I was in the, the Princess Switch, and our. Uh, sort of head of special effects, who makes Vanessa Hudgens into not one but two but three. <laughs> um, he was the head of special effects on *Warrior Nun*, and he was telling me all about it and how luckily they got to go and shoot in Spain and how amazing it was. And I obviously follow um, Simon Berry on Twitter and Instagram, so I was like, "Yeah, oh well, I will definitely now that you've recommended that because yeah. I wasn't sure. I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if this is for me.
0: Um, I, I mean, but but at the same, like it's." It kind of, ex- it's its own genre. I don't know how to describe it. Cause it's like, yes, there's like, it's supernatural. There's a little bit of horror, but it's also like super feminist and, and woke and a little bit religious, but not really. And it, there's incredible martial arts. And also it's funny and it's like a travel log. Like, because they did shoot in Spain. It's gorgeous. I told, oh. I, I told I I had Simon on the podcast and I told him, I'm like, whenever you get the green light to shoot again, just, I, I want to be there. Like, I just yeah. want to be there, like, hiding in bushes, watching. And he's like, no, you can, can actually be, be there. concept the journalist.
1: I mean, for heaven,
0: certainly But I just want too. to watch, and then I want to, I mean, also, I just want to be in Spain, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, too.
0: Ne- next question. Favorite vacation destination? Uh, miorca
1: because my husband introduced me to beautiful miorca and in... Mm. Specifically, the, uh, a place called Port de Solier, which is absolutely your Port Solier. So, so, so beautiful. And we've holidayed there many, many times. In fact, this time last year, we were there. And I weirdly, you know, when your phone gives you kind of memories, I sort of opened up my phone this morning and there was a picture of us, like footage of us across the bay.
0: Mm, I'm shaking my head because our phones should not be allowed to abuse us in that way during the <laughs> pandemic. You know, being like, we know you're in lockdown, but here's you in Mallorca. You know, yes, last exactly. year, wasn't that great? No, it's like, give me a thing. break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, this is the last question. And I do feel like I've gotten to know you so much better from favorite things, which is always the plan. But favorite pie. <laughs> That was a new addition just yeah. now, but it's very telling because it's, it's Thanksgiving Monday here in Canada, right? So yes. I will be eating an entire pumpkin pie today. I won't yeah. set out to do it. It's just going to happen.
1: No, I love that. You've got to do the pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving and happy yeah. Canadian Thanksgiving, by the way, everyone. Um,
0: and everyone thanks you. Uh,
1: thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what we are accustomed to. Um, Ooh, terrifying. Okay. Favourite pie, a Cornish pasty. Yes!
0: (laughs) I was hoping you were going to say that because it's the other thing that I like to get. I... I, Okay, this is like a weird deep cut. I don't even know why I'm admitting it, but I'd never heard of a Cornish pasty until I watched the 1970s Masterpiece Theatre version of Poldark. So not the newer Poldark, but the older one um, with Robin Ellis and Anne Rees. Yes. I remember them taking a cornish or or as they just called it a pasty because they're literally in cornwall um down into the mines and learning that it was shaped the way it was so that they could hold on to the to the dough and eat it and that some of them had like sweets on one like sweet stuff on one side and then savory on the other side i just think it's the most like efficient and filling pie yes and pretty
1: to look at so cool. I don't know about the sweet. I've never had a sweet one. I I like the one with the, the meat and veg and everything. And yeah,
0: well, you're but you're also you're not a coal miner in 18th century Cornwall. So oh, am I? No. <laughs> wow, well, you were in that sarcophagus a long time. I don't know what's going
1: on. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, <you're> trying-
0: <laughs> uh, Sue Ann. Sue Ann Braun. Sue Ann Braun. Brown, Braun. It's been a pleasure, a delight, a privilege, and an honor, and just all the other, all the other good feelings. Where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you, worship you on this exalt you on the social media? Well, my coffee kicked in, eh? Woo!
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Sabrina. Oh, I've so had the absolute blast. I wish all interviews were like this. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Suan Brown, uh, on Instagram at Suan Brown, and follow Hathor Hosts TV uh, for updates about season two and Hathor Hosts, uh, the show itself.
0: Fantastic. And all the previous episodes are available to watch, correct? Yes. Yes, correct. So if, if people are, you know, you've, you've listened to 120 plus episodes of the YBR Screen Scene podcast, um, you've already watched all the Hathar hosts, you can watch them all again. Because um, we're here for you. We're here for you. Thanks. This is all for you. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Suwanne. And thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review if you are so inclined. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvr screen scene. The YVR Screen Scene is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Dyson Braddock and Paul Furminger. Yes, we're a family business for technical support. And today, not Furminger, double A for the original music. Why Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic, dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, The Fish Flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver and Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fish flight Entertainment dot com